Hey everyone, in today's show, I'm going to discuss the Family and Medical Leave Act and specifically provide some tips on how to investigate an eligibility issue to ensure you don't run afoul of the law. For those of you who handle FMLA and also have remote employees, you are definitely going to want to listen in on this one. Welcome to the HR Investigations Podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best-selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations, a Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie. Hey everyone, in today's show, I'm going to focus on an issue that has emerged as a result of the major shift to a lot more remote work. The shift to remote work can be a really good thing for employers and employees, provides flexibility, and certainly it can help with talent acquisition and retention. However, this uh, shift that we've seen to remote work has created some issues. And I consulted on a case recently involving an employee who was hired 100% remote and the employee was a sales rep who lives here in the state of Florida, one of only three employees who work in Florida. Now, the company employs a total of 78 people, and the majority of them work in New Jersey at the New Jersey headquarters. Now, before I get into the details of the issue, let me first clarify a few things about the Family and Medical Leave Act for those listeners who may not work day-to-day with this particular law. So the FMLA, or for those of us like me who are veterans in HR, we sometimes jokingly refer to it as the Friday-Monday Leave Act. Well, why do we say that? Unfortunately, there are some folks that do try to game the system with this law a little bit, where they will get uh, a doctor to approve their time off for especially intermittent things like migraine headaches or other episodic conditions, and then they conveniently need to take family and medical leave when it brackets their off days, such as Saturday and Sunday. So that's where the Friday-Monday Leave Act comes from. Now, seriously, it was a good piece of legislation. It really affords uh, employees the ability to take time off from work for their own serious health condition, keyword here is serious, and also for time off if an immediate family member has a serious health condition, uh, like surgery or real serious illness, birth or adoption of a child or foster care of a child, qualifying uh, military exigency, um, or even needing to care for a military service member who may have been injured uh, while on uh, military duty. Now, employees are eligible for leave if they've worked for an employer for 12 months and within that preceding 12 months have physically worked 1,250 hours. Now, with the issue I was just discussing, the problem emerged when the employee, let's uh, let's call her Ariana, not a real name, by the way. So Ariana announced to her boss she was pregnant and then wanted to talk with the HR department to get information about family and medical leave. She was being proactive to really understand uh, what that was going to look like for her later when it was time for her to go out on leave. So the HR generalist advised her, however, after looking at where she worked and probably told her, well, unfortunately, you're not going to be eligible for leave. The reason is that where Ariana works in Orlando, Florida, working from home, there are no other locations that have more than 50 employees within that 75-mile radius. That is the rule with the Family and Medical Leave Act, 50 employees within 75 miles. What happened at that point, if, as you can imagine, uh, Ariana was starting to get a little frosty with the HR generalist hearing this news. But then the HR generalist said, look, you know, the company will allow you to take six weeks off if you have a regular birth or we will grant you 10 weeks if you've had a C-section. And that was in uh, their policy. Well, you know, Ariana was really pretty happy about this 
And part of why she was unhappy is because she works collaboratively with her boss and a few other team members, remotely, of course, who work at the company's New Jersey headquarters. That is in Newark, New Jersey. Now, New Jersey has a state family leave law, and that does not run concurrently with the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, which provides an employee, as I said, with 12 weeks of leave. So what happens is that in New Jersey, it's somewhat stacked, one and then the other. They, they don't run concurrently, so the benefits are much greater if you are a New Jersey employee. Now, Ariana had made the incorrect assumption here that she was a New Jersey employee, even though she works remotely in Florida, because she collaborates with her boss and other teammates who work in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, she just sort of made that assumption. Okay. Well, she escalated the issue to the HR manager going above the general generalist that she talked with. Uh, she just wasn't going to accept that she was only going to be able to take six weeks off when she had her baby. She argued the 50-mile radius part of the FMLA because she felt she reported to the New Jersey headquarters. When the HR manager really just aligned with the generalist, now she really, really got angry. And now this is where it sparked an internal investigation. She reached out to the employee relations department to lodge a formal complaint. And what she was basically stating is that they were interfering in her rights. All right. To clarify, although a company has more than 50 employees, that doesn't mean that every employee is going to be eligible to take leave under the law. In this situation, this employee, Ariana, physically works in Orlando, Florida, and it only once visited the New Jersey headquarters, and that, that was not even a company requirement. It was for something you know totally unrelated. After the investigation, and of course, internally, they, they really looked into specifically her work location, her job description policies, and, and so on and so forth. So the ER team really kind of stepped in here and took over. The HR manager and generalist kind of took a step back and let them just kind of delve into it. There already was a little bit of friction between the employee and these two HR partners. So kind of better that they sort of take a step back, let ER do their thing. So after the investigation, it was determined, certainly there was never a requirement that she come to the corporate office. She was 100% remote. She does receive work from her boss who works at the New Newark, New Jersey headquarters. Uh, this employee is not eligible for leave because she receives her work from New Jersey, and she is definitely not in any location that meets the 50 employees within the 75-mile radius requirement. Of course, in this client situation, um, when they reached out to me, I also suggested certainly this warranted the investigation and to let the employee relations team uh, do their thing. But they certainly wanted to find out, quote, if they were right. You know, like, Nellie, well, we know that we're right on this. And I said, OK, well, hold on a second. Let's just talk about this a little bit more, because one of the things that they thought about was because she was really, really upset about it. They said, well, what if we just grandfathered her and just made her eligible for leave? And then, you know, the HR manager even said, well, you know, there are some other benefits that she is entitled to in New Jersey, and she does really collaborate with the New Jersey team all the time, and I could see where this was going. And what they were looking at doing was kind of grandfathering her and wanting to kind of make her a New Jersey employee, even though she physically works in Florida. And I said, okay, hold on a second. And I said, ladies, what is it that you're thinking about with with wanting to do that? And basically because the employee was upset. So here's kind of a lesson learned. Sometimes you're going to have conflicts when you're working in HR, and especially if you were a case manager around leaves. You can't just cave in when an employee is upset and say, okay, well, we'll just 
grandfather you in and we'll just, quote, make you eligible. Wow. All right. If you do that, what happens when you do have an employee, another employee who's exhausted their time, their leave, maybe uh, not even an, an employee who is uh, is pregnant, but is looking for FMLA for their own serious health condition, maybe needing to uh, take some time off because of having the need for surgery. What you can do is is wind up with a uh, discrimination case because if you just sort of grandfather Ariana because she's just kind of frustrated and you know is really uh, getting uh, upset and you just cave and kind of grandfather her or grant her the FMLA, even though she's ineligible, now you've kind of set a precedent. Um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so therefore, other employees uh, are not going to be granted that same eligibility. And so the fact that you are really inconsistent with that can create some serious legal ramifications. So a better strategy here is to create a non-Family and Medical Leave Act policy. That will give you some structure on how to handle those who aren't eligible for leave, like new hires or part-timers. You know, there are some that may never meet your 1250 uh, requirement. And, you know, remote employees or even those that might work at small satellite offices where they're uh, just are not 50 within a 75 mile radius. Now, I have a lot of clients who have implemented this type of policy, and it mirrors the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act very closely. However, some have crafted the policy to only allow for continuous leave and not granting the intermittent leave. Now, that's your call to make, but do keep in mind if an employee has a condition that is episodic, such as an autoimmune disorder like lupus or asthma, then you may very well now have an ADA issue that requires an interactive conversation so you can then determine if an accommodation is needed. Right now, in the situation with my client, the investigation into Ariana's work location and review of their policy and also getting clarity regarding her work location and what was on her job description was very clear. She was a remote employee and the work location was Orlando, Florida. Crisis averted in that one, and I'm, I'm really glad we got that settled. Ariana, of course, was not very happy, but she realized that she is a Florida employee and she could not just, quote, be made to be a New Jersey employee. She also was receiving her uh, payroll through the state of Florida and so on and so forth. Now, recently, there was a Texas court that analyzed a remote employee situation, and the court case is Landgrave v. Fortech Medical Incorporated. Uh, a remote employee sued her former employer, Fortech, alleging that it had failed to provide her leave under the law after concluding that she wasn't eligible because they didn't have 50 employees within a 75-mile radius in the state of Texas. Now, Vanessa Landgrave was employed as a surgical laser tech, and she was hired as a remote employee and worked in Texas. She argued, though, that her work site under the Family and Medical Leave Act was the company's headquarters in Ohio, where they did have more than 50 employees. So she seemed to think it was Ohio with 50 or more. Fortech, her employer, argued, no, your work site is in Texas, where there's not 50. All right. So although Ms. Landgrave was hired through Fortech's Ohio headquarters, she lived and primarily worked in Texas, and sometimes her work did require her to travel to other states, but never to Ohio. Now, Ms. Landgrave's boss was also a remote employee working from Texas. Uh, her boss managed the south central region of Texas and oversaw logistics for the region and paired surgical techs with assignments and even monitored uh, Ms. Landgrave's performance and handled her requests for time off. Well, at issue here was what was actually her home base in this case. So the court found that there were insufficient facts to establish that the Ohio location was Vanessa Landgrave's home base. So they used what's called the WARN Act, the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act, as a guide. 
And the court stated that an employee's home base, quote, must at a minimum be a location at which the employee is physically present at some point during a typical business trip and, quote, refers not to the physical base of the employer's operations, but rather to the physical base of the employee, end quote. Since Ms. Landgrave was never physically present in Ohio, she could not establish Ohio as her home base. The court found that there was a genuine issue of fact regarding where the assignments, the work assignments for her were originated, right? Where were they created from? The assigning work site is the source of the day-to-day instructions that are given to the employee, and this isn't determined by payroll location. It isn't from where the instructions are passed, but rather where the people who were ultimately responsible for creating and receiving the assignment information. Now, in the Landgrave case, Vanessa Landgrave's boss assigned work from his home in Texas, and he directed cases to specific employees in the Texas region. However, Ms. Landgrave characterized her supervisor's assignment of work as just kind of clicking the mouse on his computer at his house and then sending the instructions to one tech or the other in his region. Well, the court found that while Landgrave's supervisor appeared to have more of a role than a mere conduit, his duties did appear kind of ancillary to the actual assignment activity. And then guess what? That created a triable issue of fact for the jury as to whether that assignment really did come from the headquarters in Ohio. All right, so (laughs) if you are investigating a case involving a remote employee who is similarly situated like Vanessa Landgrave, well, what are the factors you need to consider? Well, for starters, FMLA is silent on its applicability to remote workers. However, the Department of Labor's regs state that, quote, for employees with no fixed work site, The work site is the site to which they are assigned as their home base, from which their work is assigned, or to which they report. Further, an employee's personal residence is not a work site in the case of employees who travel a sales territory and who generally leave to work and return from work to their personal residence, or employees who work at home as under the concept of flex-a-place or telecommuting. So my recommendation to you is to ensure that you put in writing to the employee what the work site actually is upon accepting a remote work position. And with that said, I also recommend you get with legal counsel to ensure there's consistency in how this is applied. As an example, you may have one remote employee whose work site is considered your headquarters location, while another employee, perhaps maybe within the same, same work unit, may be told that her work site is where her boss's residence is from where he distributes work assignments to her. Let's get clear on this right from the beginning of the relationship. And if this changes, make the change and then put it in writing to the employee so there is full transparency. And from an investigation standpoint, it will be critical to gather any of that type of documentation that defines the employee's work site and then to then move on and determine the eligibility. Certainly evaluating the employee's physical hours is essential. That needs to be looked at very carefully. You need to have 1250 in the preceding 12 months of hours physically worked. If not, then the employee is not even yet eligible for FMLA. So the remote piece is really kind of a moot point. Um, Lastly, you need to look at your past practice and please consult legal before you make a decision to not grant FMLA for a remote employee. You really want to make absolutely certain that you're not interfering in an employee's rights under the law. Okay, that wraps it up for me today. I hope this has been a good boost in your FMLA knowledge and that I gave you some valuable tips. Until next time, see you back on the HR Investigations Podcast. 
Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills, or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.